I know how you ought to answer each person. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, that you have given us your word, Lord, that you um, created all things and hold all things together and in renewing all things for our good, that we might be with you in communion forever and ever. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to you this morning, Father, that you would be all that we see and hear as we try to figure out what it means to be missionaries in the world that we live in and bring glory to your name in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So you will see we have a handout here. If you haven't gotten one, it's somewhere being passed around. Yes. Uh, I don't have them here. They were back there. Brian has them. Brian has a couple. Ben needs a handout. If you're worried about its length, hopefully we will not go line by line, but I wanted you to have it to be able to engage it on your own time. Uh, If also you want the selection of this book, that we're engaging with. I have it in PDF form. Just let me know, and I can send you an email that you can just read on your own time. Uh, We just finished, Brian and Ryan just finished a book, or a study on Christopher Wright's A Mission of God, which talks about the fact that God is a missional God, that he, that the scriptures are a missional work, and that he has blessed us in order to be a blessing. What we are going to be spending a lot of our time in is a missional context. That God is a missional God, but we live in a missional world, and so what does it mean for us to live as missionaries? Now, we will, for a little bit, at the very end, four weeks from now, talk about a missional method, the ways in which we can be missionaries rather than the context that we're in. But I wanted to start about to talk about our missional identity, that in Christ, that he has made us to be missionaries in a missional world, because he is a missional God. And we see in Colossians how that works. That God creates the world. That he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This happens in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, he creates man and woman, and what does he tell them to do? Does anyone know? Be fruitful and multiply, rule over the ground. And so God, as the head, is telling man, I can't write here, what to do and rule over creation. And there is fruit in that. But then Genesis 3 happens. And what does Romans 1 say about Genesis 3? Does anybody know? They exchanged what? The truth of God, the glory of God for the glory of man. And so we sin, and it inverts this and turns it upside down. Now, instead of glorifying God, who tells us what to do so that we can rule and reign over the creation and cultivate faithfulness and be a vision of what it means to live in harmony with God, we invert it, and we worship the creation. And now God stands under our feet, and what do we get? Void, death, destruction, Emptiness makes it really, really hard. So, what does God do? He sends Jesus. And if you were Jewish, you would call this the day of the Lord, where a descendant of David comes down 
and saves the world, reconciles the world to God so that they can be with him. Sin is destroyed. It is no more. You are no longer under its dominion. As my professor Sinclair Ferguson says, quoting John Owen, the hardest thing to convince a non-Christian of is the fact that he is under the dominion of sin. The hardest thing to convince a Christian of is that he is no longer under the dominion of sin. That we live free in Christ. And so Christ comes, but it is not over. He is going to come again. And the second coming. And as Darwin said today, in the new heavens and the new earth, that creation is going to be restored. That we are going to live in harmony. That this is a picture of the good life. And so what does Darwin say? Walk into that. What does Second Peter say? Peter's talking about in Second Peter. That to bring virtue in with your faith. Why? So that you will enter into the kingdom. That this is what it looks like. To be good and true and beautiful. And that will go on forever. Here's what's hard. You're right there. Which means that the dominion of sin is over, but the effects of sin are still here. Which means that your desires flow in that direction. But you know, because of who you are, that those don't have any rule over you, that Christ rules over you. And there is a tension there. And it is really, really difficult to deal with. What everyday theology is, is about understanding our place in the world between the already and the not yet. Understanding where we are in God's big story in order to carry out the reflective and practical task of participating in the mission of God by fulfilling our roles as new creations each day as faithful disciples in Christ. To know what you're going to do, you have to know where you are. And to know where you are, you have to know what story you are part of. You have to know where you came from. Here's what's interesting about where we live right now. The missionary Leslie Newbegin, who, if you don't know him, pick up his books. He did this 40 years ago, and it's amazing. Um, He points out that the West, America, England, presents a special challenge to this kind of missional endeavor because for the first time, there's a typo there, for the first time, the church has had to mount a mission to a culture that was previously Christian. And you may feel this and intuit this, and as we're going to go on, we may get a little bit concept-heavy. I'm sorry for that. I don't know if that's going to happen, but if it does, just work with me here. Now, you may think, I live in Fort Worth, Texas. I don't really live in a post-Christian society or a society that is not Christian anymore. Let me point out a couple of things. This is not the debate that we're going to have, but I do just want to point these things out. The first is, is this conversation about America being founded on Christian values. Now, whether you believe that or not, I have no interest in getting into that. What I do have an interest in saying is that by nature of democracy... As a government, for and by the people, it is subject to change. And I think that you can see that, and we are experiencing that. That our legislation is changing, and so it doesn't matter what happened before because the people are changing, and as the people change, so does the culture. The other thing I want to point out is that you may want to see 
that there is a lot of Christian music, a lot of Christian culture, Christian movies, and those kinds of things. And that is all true, and those things are all good. The question that I want to ask is, how many Christians or people that are having these conversations are actually occupying the highest forms of our culture in academics and in the arts and in business and in government and those kinds of things for which most of the large picture of our culture follows after. And the third thing is, you may think, but there are guys like me in their 20s that are going to seminary, they're doing good things. But you may know that most people my age are a part of a group called the nuns. And I don't know where that came from, but if you've heard it, you may know that people that are my age, a millennial generation, serve what some sociologists call a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic God. That he is concerned with your happiness, with your going to heaven. He does not have any real engagement with the world. And so you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you're going to be happy. This, I think is the world that we live in. This is what we feel. It is creating more of a tension between the already and the not yet. What are we supposed to do? Because this does not just apply to those that we are speaking with. This is not just the guy in the coffee shop or the guy that you work next door to. This does not only affect them. This affects us. Because we as the church are being asked to fundamentally change our identity as one that has been established in American culture to a community being pushed to the margins of society. And that changes everything. Some common solutions to this have been legislation to reclaim our established institution of the church in America. And if you don't believe me, pay attention over the next 12 to 18 months and the churches and the things that are going to happen. This is a real issue, but it has problems. Why? Among other things, it seems to fall on deaf ears, deaf ears. Two, it excludes us from one another in churches. Suddenly we have no Christian or Jew or Greek. It's Republican and Democrat. And this becomes very problematic. And so, we may think, well, we don't want to engage in that kind of culture war, as it's been described. We are going to go and have our own little community. That we're going to move away from society and invite people into it. But if we just do our own thing, then we're going to stay away from everybody else. We're not going to impose ourselves on anybody else. And this is a problem. Van Hooser, get some water, is proposing a third way, as Tim Keller would say, that we must not only know how to preach, to talk to people, but also how to practice Christian faith. Because salvation is not just about your personal relationship with Christ, it is about the renewal of all things. In Christ. It is one's present walk with Christ. Your behavior is also your belief. What you think impacts how you act. That's absolutely true. But how you act is also going to impact how you think. So if you're a banker and you come here and you experience all that is good, but then you go to work, what do you encounter all the time? 
transactions, economics. There's pluses and minuses to everything. And so you may be tempted to use most of the gifts that God has given you in a transactional way, most often with your relationships, that you use your friends and your people to get something out of them, or if someone asks you to do something, you expect that you're going to have to do something in return. Not do all things in love, give to your brother freely, not sharing with one another, breaking bread with one another, these kinds of ideas that we know and intuit as Christians. Because our missionary identity is not primarily about the self, but about loving God and loving others, to engage people for their transformation. And so we have to understand not only the world that we live in, but the world that they live in. What are the stories and traditions and habits that dictate what they believe. Van Hooser says that when people learn to read the signs of the times and respond to culture, they become a sign of the end time and will have achieved not only only cultural literacy, but countercultural wisdom. All of this keeps this part in view, that we as the church are as one of my other professors would say, to hold before the watching world a picture of what it means to be human. That God has created us in his image to work. And we, when we keep the new heavens and the new earth in view, and when we try to be a picture of what that might look like, people start to participate in that, and their, belief starts to, their behavior starts to affect what it is that they believe. And this is of utmost importance. Why? Because the already and the not yet is so confusing that people don't even know what gender they are anymore. People don't know how to interact with one another. And so we have got to figure out what it means not just to have a culture war or what it means to just preach to people or what it means to just have a worldview, but to live that worldview. Does that make sense? This will require a move from being right to being good, from victimhood to servanthood, from, the exclusion, of, from exclusion to hospitality, from denominational division to Christian partnership, from seeking to triumph over culture to seeking the common good of the city, and from the view of the already to a view of the not yet, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Has anybody ever been on a mission trip overseas? Did you have a good time on that mission trip overseas? Why is somebody willing to describe that? A brave soul. Purpose. That's great. You totally have a sense of purpose. What else? God is working in the world. And we see that more so on a mission trip than ever. Everyone comes back. It's amazing to see what God is doing all the time. And then you come home, and what's the question that you asked yourself yesterday, like me? What is God doing in my life? What else? Sense of focus. When when you're overseas, you aren't nearly as distracted. You're not distracted. You're, You're focused on who? People. You have, as we've said, gotten rid of our phones. We have unplugged. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And what that means. Because phones are not bad. 
They, they do these things. When we enter in as missionaries, we don't operate with this idea of an establishment. In fact, we expect persecution. And we don't, that doesn't, we don't get dejected because of that. We get inspired because of that. And so we become much more hospitable and we invite people into what it is that we're doing and we actively go to serve them. And we do not expect anything in return. Why? Because we're missionaries. And unfortunately, I feel like, and I feel this myself, that here in America, we are missionaries that don't want to live here. And those are bad missionaries. Because Monday through Saturday, when you're going to work and you're being a mom or you're, you're doing the things that you do, you don't think about life this way. You don't encounter the story of God and go, how am I to participate in that? You do that when you're here, but then you get lost. And the reason is because of what culture is and what it does and what it cultivates in you. That it is affecting you. That we are here doing great and wonderful things liturgically and preaching and all these sorts of things. But I don't know about you, I am tired of trying harder to believe more in order to do the right thing. That I want to participate in what God is doing so that that may refresh my mind and who I am. So, what is culture? Culture is defined as works and worlds of meaning. It is basically the world that we encounter. And because we live in a pluralistic society, it's hard to figure out where one culture ends and the other begins. You go to the gas station and there's a Muslim woman in full burqa garb. And 50 years ago, that didn't happen. So we're trying to interact with different cultures. Think about this as kind of the saying, your house is a window, or someone's house is a window into who they are. That they've shaped it, but it's communicating something about them, and in turn is forming them. Like, if their couch or if their living room is actually oriented towards the television or not. And if that's the truth, then you can see, you know what's important is television. And look, I watch more TV than probably all of you. I'm just trying to make a point here. Um, Or think about your encounter at a grocery store. You walk in, you go to the checkout line, and what do you see? Last-minute things, impulsive buys. So they're encouraging your impulsiveness. Then what do you see? People magazine. So it's full of gossip. It has pretty people on it. It's telling you 30 secrets to whatever, a better sex life, a better monetary life, a better fiscal life. These are the pictures and images and things that we're encountering. It is the sea that we swim in. And we do not see it. They are lived worldviews that we see every day when we encounter a worldview that is different than our own, not in conversation, but in our actual life. And it affects us. We're going to talk about cultural texts. And a cultural text essentially unfolds a possible way of living together. So cultural text is the grocery store rather than just sort of your everyday life. And what's important to understand is that all of culture fits in this. God is not like out here and we're here and the world started spinning and so it actually is secular. No, 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 no. 
we are always already suspended by God. He holds all things together. Okay? But what you encounter is the opposite of that. What you encounter is that God is up here and we are down here and the relationship is completely severed. And the only time that I normally experience the connection of those two things in my life is when I'm here. Because then we understand that God is working. But that is the truth all the time. Augustine says that God, only God is to be enjoyed as an end in himself. Everything else, music, cathedrals, literature, married love, is to be used to point us to the source and destiny of our meaning and existence. That though we are affected by something that tells us that we are someone who we are not, we can, and in fact, have been encouraged and created by God to take the good things that he has created in the world that are good and true and beautiful and cultivate them, where the word culture comes from, cultivate them in order to paint this picture of the new heavens and the new earth. What does culture do? Culture communicates. Particularly, it communicates a vision, a vision of the meaning of life, a vision of what it means to be human, a vision of the good life. This is seen most often in slogans. I remember during uh, the Super Bowl, there was a Reebok commercial, and the slogan was, Be More Human. And it was this guy running around in tennis shoes, and he was all manly man and all this other stuff. Other explicit slogans that anybody can think of. On a magazine. Um, or, yeah, Joel Osteen. Your best life now. These are explicit. But they're also, culture communicates things implicitly. Matthew McConaughey, driving a Lincoln. You have no idea what the man is saying in that commercial. (laughs) But Matthew McConaughey is awesome. And so what is Lincoln telling you? If you want to be awesome, like Matthew McConaughey, drive a Lincoln. Or hybrid Lincoln at that, if you want to be environmentally responsible. You do this on, uh, women get this done, kind of a picture of what it means to be, to be beautiful. And that is perverted into some sort of primarily sexual way. And so we've lost what it means to be beautiful. We don't, in fact, so much so that we don't interact with the idea of beauty. We just react against the idea of perverted sexuality. And that's hard. Because suddenly we start entering into this God isn't working in the world that we just have to do better things. Don't do this. Instead do this. Creating systems. And we can no longer walk in wisdom. We're not cultivating that virtue. We're not putting on kindness and humility and mercy. We're not bounding these things up in love. We're actually contributing to the idea that what you're worth that you are worth what you do or what you look like. And that's not true. And we do that so much that we really, really struggle with it. We were having a conversation in a small group about kind of the explicit sexuality and commercials that comes. And we'll talk about that later when culture reproduces. It's, I mean, it is all over the place. You watch a golf tournament or a football game, it's everywhere. And so our first reaction when we're talking to our friends about it is don't do that. Don't succumb to those things. But when it's a 15-year-old kid who's confused 
and is using how he is made in the image of God to know that women are beautiful and has the right desires, how in the world do you have a nuanced conversation like that without just crawling underneath the couch? These are the things that we want to reimagine. We're talking about these things so that we can imagine what it might look like to be missionaries in a world that is no longer Christian and try to make sense of putting our lives and orienting them in such a way that is virtuous, that walks in wisdom, that has a rule of life and is done in community. This kind of communication requires virtue to speak good things to people. Culture orients us. It orients us to the world. Life is like an episode of Friends. They are ready-made scripts and stories. These stories are not this story. This story is one that's created and fabricated. Anybody watch Mad Men? Anyone? Mad Men is awesome. Keep watching it. Um, uh, Well, there you go. Um, Peggy goes with Burger Chef, if you're with me. She sits in front of Burger Chef, and what is she doing? She takes the events of the day, Neil Armstrong has landed on the moon, and she spins the story about family and how they eat and orient themselves at Burger Chef, and that that is a picture of flourishing, because everyone in the world is doing this one thing. It's starting to reorient our stories and put us in places where we don't belong. Another way that may be helpful to look at this um, I can sense and kind of intuit this idea of hospitality, which we talk about a lot, can become really burdensome. And hospitality becomes this thing where you have to have your whole life together. And so when someone comes over to your house, to your house you have to show them, like, it looks nice and it's pretty and uh, you make really good food and you know what's going on and you've served them and all these other things. And excellence is good and you should continue to try and do that. What the problem is is that that becomes kind of an ultimate thing you get really wrought up and doing those kinds of things. But that, in fact, true hospitality might look more like your neighbor who's got two kids arm in arm, one of them sick, half naked in diapers, and she's locked herself out of her house. And she comes and knocks on your door, and her husband's not going to be home until 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock. And so you just feed her kids grilled cheese, and you take her worries away. And you just sit down and talk to her and listen to her about why in the world she's so chaotic and struggling with all these things. That it's not just about being perfect. It's about love. Culture reproduces. This is the idea of Instagram and Facebook. The reason that we like to talk about those things is because they pass culture back and forth really, really quickly. And so we get a lot of it all the time. So this is important. This requires a wisdom where you can see what is good and uphold that and critique what is bad. This is not a passive reception. You're not walking around and everything is just telling you what to do. You're engaging with these things. And you have to be able to engage the fact that there are some wonderful things that are happening and are being shown and displayed on Instagram, but then understand that your compar- the comparison of your life to the perfect picture of somebody else's life is destructive. 
and not helpful. And so we have to be able to critique those things. I'm moving quickly because we're almost, we're getting close to out of time and I want to have a little bit of time for questions. Um, the last thing is that culture cultivates. Uh, if you ever created a culture in science class and in the Petri dish, you are in the Petri dish. We are in the Petri dish. The word for this is formation. And we've been talking about this in one way or another. That what you encounter is forming you, and it is happening to us and to our children all the time. Instead of addressing these belief systems head-on, cultural works structure our daily practices, and they colonize our imaginations. They limit what we think is possible in the world, which goes away when you go overseas. But here, we're limited to our own constructs. What do I mean? How does that work? Look around you. The liturgy that we have, we said the Nicene Creed today. You know why we say creeds? Because we're like kids, and we need to be told the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and maybe someday we'll get it. Why do we confess our sin? Because that is what our way of life is like. Why do we sing songs and communicate rich liturgy? Because we, have, we sing praises to God in worship, but we're also listening to them in our ears. This, of course, is seen most fully here, where we are participating in God's redemption. And it shapes us, and it forms us. The question is, how do you do that every day? That's what we're going to start getting into. We have to resist two temptations. One is an uncritical acceptance of spirituality. Culture has a lot of thick descriptions. This is very nuanced and slippery. Like I said, it's, it's concept-heavy. Try to put in some things that we can grasp, but you may have some cognitive dissidence already of, oh my gosh, the world is starting to change a little bit. Um, we have to provide thick, thick descriptions for that. We can't just see things and then attribute them as bad or good. We have to try and use wisdom to discern what those things are. And the other thing is to write off popular culture as a symptom of sinful rebellion. Ah, well, that's what it means to be in a world of sin. But that's just how it works. And we can't give up. We have to have hope for what's to come. God has called us to be faithful in our place. Indeed, our world is the arena where we work out our understanding of God. Not just here. We need to figure out how to do that because Christianity is incarnational. God became a culturally located human being and we are never isolated from around the surrounding culture. The mission of God is to serve, is to cultivate the life of Christ in our life, and in our neighbors. And when we fulfill our vocation, the church becomes not a sign of the times, but rather a sign of the end times. And so next week, we're going to talk about a little bit more concept stuff, but within the story of God's redemption, like the image of God and general revelation and the cultural mandate and those kinds of things. And then we're going to actually do this. We're going to get into, Van Hooser has um, 10 helpful steps that will help us to sort of see where we are. And we're going to use a wedding. Anybody been to a wedding before? 
okay, it's going to be easy that way. And we're going to try, and that's going to, I'm going to be dependent upon your interaction. Um, and then the last, the last week, we're going to try and imagine um, a way forward. There are a lot of different things. James Hunter calls it faithful presence. Miroslav Volf calls it soft difference. Um, Jamie Smith is imagining the kingdom. There are a lot of different views on what it looks like to actually live as missionaries in the world, and we're going to try and explore those together. 1046. That was not bad. Uh, we have, Brian, do we have like five minutes, four minutes for questions? <laughs> One minute for questions. Everybody's sufficiently confused. All right, well, let's pray then. Father, thank you um, that you have made us yours. That in Christ we receive all the benefits that you gave to him. That we might live as new creations in a world that is longing for your love. That needs your hope. And Father, give us the humility and the patience and the love to invite people into your family. To indeed hold before the world a picture of what it means to be loved by you. To be recreated in the image of Christ. Lord, thank you that we can talk about these things with one another. I pray that we would do that. And that these kinds of ideas would fill our conversations that we might know you more and glorify you in the world. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. We'll have a great, happy Mother's Day.